Hey, Politicology Plus, how you doing? We've missed you. Good to talk to you again. Got a whole bunch of people listening in from the main show today because we're releasing this episode to the public. And we wanted to give everybody a taste of what the Politicology Plus community gets on a regular basis, at least once a week. So to everybody listening in who's not a Politicology Plus subscriber, if you want more content like this and extra episodes, bonus conversations, strategy sessions over time, head over to politicology.com slash plus to subscribe today. On with the show. So earlier this week, just continuing the conversation here about Tim Scott, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott also jumped into the ring. It was a very aspirational message. The New York Times described it as being a positive aspirational message. Quote, it was evident in his announcement speech. It was evident in his rollout ad. Uh, I want to take a minute to listen to that. It's about 59 seconds. Let's roll that. I'm living proof that America is the land of opportunity. I was raised by a single mother in poverty. She taught me to have stubborn faith, faith in God, faith in ourselves, and faith in America. I rose from a child of poverty to a candidate for president of the United States because we chose patriotism over pity and to be victors, not victims. Made in America. That's my story. That's why it pains my soul to see the Biden liberals attacking every rung of the ladder that helped me climb. Indoctrination in our schools, inflation in our economy, crime in our neighborhoods, victimhood in our culture. To the radical left that says we're an evil, declining country, I say the truth of my life disproves your lies. I'm Tim Scott. And I approve this message because I have faith in America and our president should too. It lacks the doom and gloom we're used to seeing from someone like Trump. There's no grievance here. And it's also a message, uh, candidly, I have wanted to hear. I, I, I wanted to hear somebody offer an uplifting uh, drumbeat message. Well, that's not, for, a, that's not know, a good like, sign for him then. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. How did you think, how did, what did you think of the ad? How, what do you think this message is going to do in a Republican primary filled with grievance? I mean, could ask yourself this question. Could this have been run in 1999, in 2004, in 2008, in 2012? Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes. I think yes. I'm a, per, personally, I yes. think those ad that, or sorry, that announcement could have been done in any of those cycles. It could have been done in 15. You wouldn't have won. I, I know people who did that in 15. It doesn't work. Um, I do think, though, what I like about it, set aside the, the, my personal belief, is I do think it's authentic. So this is what Tim Scott has been. This is not a new Tim Scott. We didn't like... Right. He didn't go into the lab and do a bunch of things and come out and become this new person. This is Tim Scott. This is the type of person he has shown to be whether he was running in South Carolina or serving in the United States Senate, there's an, you could build a case. I don't like the odds of this case, but you could build a case that like people get out of this race earlier this cycle than they did in 15 and 16. So it narrows much sooner. And, and the Iowa, New Hampshire thing isn't 15 or 12 people. It's four to five. Then if you'd been authentic to this message after nine months of what's going to be really ugly, um, campaign. Like, is there some part where then like this message kind of breaks through? Cause he's going to be the only one who authentically delivers it. I think that's a legitimate argument. And again, mm-hmm. 
um, it is who he is. Like no one, I, those like I don't know Tim Scott well, but I have friends who worked with him in the United States Senate, and like this is that's Tim Scott. That's just who he is. I, I think authenticity goes a really long way. It may not be sufficient, but I think it's the smartest strategy if he was going to get in this race that he could have had. Totally agree. I totally agree. What do you think, Dina? Yeah, I agree with everything Frank said. You know, when I heard it, uh, my immediate reaction was, this is a great general campaign mm. message, not a primary, Republican primary message mm. right now. Right now. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. you know, in the, if he makes it out of the primary and is our nominee, this this is a great ad and Frank's points is exactly who he is. So he wouldn't be changing himself at all. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Scott? I, I thought he took Mike Pence's phrase like faith in America and opening speech. I feel like this, and it's interesting. I know, I don't know Tim Scott at all, but I know he's very evangelical. And again, I go back to these guys all read polls, you know, they look at it and the evangelical base is what wins you places like South Carolina, what yep. wins you play, can win you Florida, um, or certainly help you in Florida and places like that. And so he's leaning into it and, you know, everyone's saying he's positioning himself to be the VP if you're Donald Trump, you're not, I, I don't think he's stupid at all. They know that they need the evangelical base to come out. And so he looks like a good alternative because you're never picking Mike Pence. And so, yeah, this looked like a general election ad. And it also looks like something, you know, this is the, the message Mike Pence wanted to, wanted to, to, to give in the free, you know, the campaign slogan he wanted to do. And, and the only thing Mike Pence would have been different is that last one would have been some, 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 you know, shade of I'm not Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, and you know, Tim Scott doesn't have to say that everyone knows he isn't. And to, to be honest, most of the voters don't know who he is. So he gets to define himself on that. Um, you know, I, I thought it was pretty smart. Um, and again, if South Carolina is going to be the, the end of either, you know, Nikki Haley or Tim Scott, you know, Tim Scott wins this round. Um, yeah. it might be the end of both of them, but you know, certainly Tim Scott's going to come out ahead. Um, if, if, if South Carolina were, were, were to come today, at least that's what the polling says and certainly the momentum of the announcements. Yeah. Just on the evangelical piece, you know, uh, there's a political reported earlier this week that Scott's going to focus heavily on winning over evangelical Christians in Iowa. Uh, he's been very open about his faith throughout his public life. I think the authenticity, Frank, really works with not the Trump lane of evangelicals where where religion is performance, but actual faithful people in Iowa will resonate with the kind of authenticity that 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 Tim Scott has to offer. And he's also hit the ground running with five and a half million dollars on TV in Iowa and New Hampshire. So how are you evaluating that move? And uh, what do you, what is the strategic goal there? Yes, yeah, so I assume that's the goal is to peel off this kind of evangelical base. Um, pick off maybe what's left of like the Des Moines suburbs of white educated. Um, but again, like I don't, I, what, what would concern me from a winning standpoint, and maybe the strategy is not about winning in Iowa, right? Like he's the expectations, if they play their cards right, obviously will not be that they're going to win Iowa. They don't need to win Iowa, right? A, so, I, I, again, we're projecting now months and months and months ahead, but like if it were tomorrow and Scott got third in Iowa, everyone would pat him on the back. If he got then yep. third in New Hampshire, everyone would pat him on the back. To Scott's point, at the end of the day, like he's going to have to outperform in South Carolina massively. And I, based on the current polling, whether that means he has to win South Carolina, I, I don't know, probably, but he at least has to greatly outperform his current polling. So like you could see a way to get to South Carolina. Um, 
I just don't know if there's enough of those evangelical voters in Iowa who don't have this grievance side too, Hmm. right? So like Ted Cruz, I think the way, the reason he played well in Iowa is because he has both of those cards. Now I think, I think Tim Scott's more authentic, 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 but at the end of the day, Ted can do both of these things, right? He can be a warrior and go after the grievance and he understands the biblical side of this. And so I just don't know if there's enough of the one side, biblical only side of the evangelicals in Iowa. And they're clearly not enough in New Hampshire. I mean, that's obvious. Yeah. Right. And, and his biggest competition is going to be Pence. If he gets in the race, it looks like he's considering it probably going to get in. Uh, And if he does decide to run, you know, he's going to attempt to appeal to the same evangelical voters. And the question is like, who wins there? Who comes out ahead? If it's, if it's Tim Scott or Pence, Scott's got a, war chest of about $22 million. They said it was more than uh, any presidential candidate in history. New York Times said that. Uh, DeSantis has more money in allied groups. Um, But I wonder what you think that money can mean for him. And uh, I think, you know, first, can we lay out why having that money in the campaign is so valuable at this stage compared to having it in sort of allied groups around supporting you? I'm not convinced that is this huge advantage. Um, Okay. Yeah, I think Tim Scott has proven to be an effective fundraiser. This shows, so what's nice about having this war chest is you can signal to your donors and to future donors, right, that like you have support. I'm not so sure that whether you have 25 million in in a presidential campaign or 100 million in a super PAC at the end of the day is a huge difference. I also think what at least the lesson I took from 2015, right, is it's that is clearly not the way you win, right? It's not the money. The money is a signal of support. And wh- where that signal really happens is when, when are you raising money and how much money are you raising in the second and third and the fourth quarter, not how much did you raise in 2022. And so I think what's going to be more fascinating is like, what is the second quarter numbers look like for the, so like for these guys who are only going to get, you know, a month and a week to raise money, like what does that number look like? And then what does this third quarter number look like? That's the mo that's the fundraising momentum number that I think is a little more interesting than the war chest going into it. Yeah. 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 I mean, I agree. The money right now allows you to put some boots on the ground, right. And start some momentum, you know, do some direct mails, get yourself on TV, but really hire a campaign staff, you know, set up that, that campaign headquarters. But, you know, if you don't have that come January, it's it's not going to matter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's also raised uh, since 2022, $42 million. And a lot of that's been given out to other Republicans. So presumably he's also been, you know, buying goodwill and loyalty that he can cash in on later throughout the, throughout the primary process. I, yeah, go ahead. One interesting stat, just from a numbers angle on money, is if you look at the 2016 Republican primary, um, you know, basically you needed about between 35 and 60 million dollars raised to at least make it to Nevada, right? And I'm and I'm looking at this after the fact. You look at all the candidates who made it to Nevada and who actually got delegates; they had raised between 35 and 60 million dollars. I can only speak for the Marco Rubio campaign. The target fundraising number to get to Iowa was $30 million. When he dropped it, when Marco Rubio dropped out after Florida, he had raised just over 65 million, 
right? And so obviously Jeb Bush was the outlier there. And then you look at the Ben Carsons, you look at everyone else. And so I, I, I'm so far removed from presidential primary and all those consultants, but everyone in this room, and, and I know, I think it's Zach Moffat, who is the senior advisor over mm-hmm. at, at the Tim Scott world. They all had presentations six months ago where they said, how much money do I need to raise so I can make it to X state? And then we'll worry about everything afterwards. I think the $22 million that Tim Scott has, I don't know what the number is this cycle, but it's probably not that far off from 35 to $65 million you need to have to be competitive, at least make it through some of the early states. $22 million makes it a whole lot easier when these guys all have horrible fundraising numbers coming out of the summer, yeah. right? Like he's going to yeah. have horrible numbers. He's, yeah. They're going to be bad, but he'll say, look, my cash on hand, you know, Donald Trump excluded is much higher than Nikki Haley's, who is going to have to spend all this money. And so I I don't know, you know, to everyone else, Frank and Nina's point, like, I don't know, it's more the fundraising number. The donors want to know what the momentum is, but at least the cash on hand is going to make that that Q3 number when it's going to be horrible in the summer seem that much better because you can say, yeah, we got killed in fundraising in July and August, but look at our cash on hand. Yeah, you know, by the unless way, unless they spend it all. But I, I think there's some people over there that know not to spend it all. I think that's right. Zach Moffat's a smart guy. At one point in his career, he was the head of education at RNC. Uh, he's a he's he, he, he knows what he's doing. Um, I have I have one question for you, which is just an optics question. Tim Scott's the only black man in the race. How much does that matter? And and how does it matter for Republican primary voters, Nina? I think it goes back to the, you know, and just folks be, who are not going to vote for Trump or DeSantis, yeah. it gives them like in different a, in, in like the atmosphere that we're all swimming in right now is a politics that has been uh, very highly racialized over the last several years. Right. Ever since 2020, summer 2020, like it's been it's been in the the air. How much does that matter to Republican primary voters that Tim Scott's a black man? I don't, don't I don't think it does. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't think we know. Probably the same question. Does it matter? Republican primary voters that Nikki Haley's a woman. Right. Right. I think yeah. we have to and see an American what, woman. Right. Exactly. Right. We have to see what happens with the top two. Yeah. You know, I think there's obviously the top two have their lanes and then the rest are kind of this other lane. And the question is how many people are going to say, because yeah. Tim Scott is a black man or Nikki Haley's yeah. an American Indian woman or Indian American, sorry, I'm going to vote for them. Yeah. I think it's too early to know that. Yeah. I mean, Republicans don't tend to do that kind of identity politics, it tends to be less of a factor. I have a hunch that it's going to help him. Uh, I have no, you know, data to back that up. I just have a hunch that it's going to help him a little bit. Frank, any thoughts? I think it could break either way. It's so hard to say. I think, I'm not so sure it's as relevant in the Republican primary as it may seem. I think it helps, again, I think from a donor standpoint, I think it helps. Helps in the media. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I think his whole message helps, right? Like I help his message helps with donors. It's a lot easier to, to raise money if you're Tim Scott in New York and Florida with this message um, and in California. So, um, but I'm not so sure it matters on the ground in, in Iowa or New Hampshire or South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nina's nodding. Okay. I want to run through a couple of the candidates real quick. Um, This is interesting. Francis Suarez, who is, uh, the Miami mayor, um, Politico playbook reported, uh, that a longtime Trump advisor, Kellyanne Conway has been an unofficial advisor to him for a while. Suarez is the son of Miami's first Cuban born mayor. He had previously and publicly rejected Trumpism. He disclosed he didn't vote for Trump in 2016 or 2020. 
uh, and more recently reached out to Kellyanne after seeing Trump speak in Nashville. Kellyanne told Politico that she has told Trump that Suarez should be on the shortlist for VP if Trump secures the nomination. Uh, he, Suarez says he'll decide if he's going to toss his hat into the presidential primary before late June. How are you thinking about such a key player, Conway, serving as an unofficial advisor to somebody who's thinking about a presidential run? She's obviously very still, uh, very, very connected to Trump world. Um, how significant is this, Nina? Significant for her, significant for Suarez. Uh, uh, huh. I mean, for her, I, you know, it's a smart move. You, He's good. The Republican Party, you know, regardless of what people think about the primary, has a bench. I would argue the Democrats do not have a bench. You know, if, if Trump or DeSantis decides, you know, or, you know, in a couple of years, let's say, you know, Biden wins or, does, or wins re-election and Trump and DeSantis decide not to run again, the Republican Party, including Suarez, Haley, has a bench. So I think for her, it's very relevant for him. It's probably going to give him access to folks that he didn't have access to before. You know, you have a name like her. Uh, but other than that, yeah, you know, and she can probably provide him, you know, some media training and other skills just from having done this before, access to donors. But other than that, right now, I'm not seeing... Um, I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty big advantage in its own, it right? Other than advantage, that, yeah. you know, I'm not really seeing anything else at this yeah. moment in time yeah. until he officially announces. Until he announces. Yeah. I think she is a huge asset. Frank, do you have any thoughts? He's good. He's smooth. He's charismatic. I've seen him speak a couple of times. Uh, he shows well. Um, I wonder, I wonder what you think about him and that potential for Kellyanne to get him the VP nod. Yeah. I mean, I think Kellyanne Conway is very, very, very smart at what she does. I mean, that Anyone who doesn't think that doesn't has not paid attention or doesn't know her or is just um, doesn't like her for from a public policy standpoint. She's incredibly mm -hmm. bright. She's gifted at what she does. Anyone would be lucky to have her help. Um, so I I think good for him. Like you know I hate yeah. I hate this phrase, but you know you hope that someone like him is the future of the party. Um, yeah, he's excellent. So yeah. I love when you know it looks like folks are identifying <laughs> what, what's going on there, Ron. I don't know. Th th just, some, some kids are having a very fun time mm -hmm. right outside of our, of our recording setup. <laughs> but I don't, I don't really see him running for president. Like I also, yeah, I right. think the VP thing to me just seems like a risky endeavor for whoever the nominee mm -hmm. is, right? Like mm -hmm. you try to as best you can make your VP choice, not a risky thing. Like that's kind of step right. one is like, do not be a liability. And I'm not suggesting he's a liability, but some new fresh like this is always a scary thing on the national stage, right? Even people who think they're ready for the national stage and we're going to watch, I guarantee you, somebody who's not ready, like of these candidates who are yep. getting in, someone's not going to be ready for the national stage. So I, yeah. I think he's young, right? Like he's a lot younger yep. than our current president. Yeah, He's most likely yep. a lot younger than our our president in the next four years. So like, yeah, he's got a bright future and having Kellyanne Conway, you know, sherping you around to Nina's point, get you in donor meetings. You can talk to producers and shows like she opens the doors to a lot of great things and she's really yeah. good at what she does. He's very good looking and charming and yep. youth matters. Like the youth, the energy, the vitality that he gives off matters. Trump or DeSantis in, in his Twitter spaces played this up too. Like it was in his talking points, his prepared remarks were like, you know, I don't know, something like, you know, I've got the energy, I've got the whatever. He was very clearly drawing contrast, not just to Biden, but to Trump. So I think, I think it, I think it helps him a lot. Okay, let's talk about Pence real quick. Uh, he's expected to declare that he's running for the nomination soon. New York Times is reporting that he's going to position himself as a quote-unquote 
classical conservative who can return the party to its pre-Trump roots. Um, I am so highly skeptical of anybody who says we can go back to the way it was before, ever. That is not the way physics works. Um, it's, not, it's not the way entropy works. I, I mean, can can Trump's former VP realistically chart a path forward? And what's the appetite for that among the electorate? You mean to tell me he can't sell the nostalgia to the evangelical base of the Republican <laughs> primary? <laughs> I, I, you know, phys- physics aside, I, I, I think that, again, that is that is who Mike Pence is, you know, ever since he's been in the House is I'm steady. I'm predictable. Um, I'm someone just like you. Um, and there's a lot of faith, you know, sprinkled throughout all of that. And again, that base turns out in a Republican primary, right? Like, and, and they're not as, you know, I, I, and you know, I love Mike Madrid and the Latino vote and all that. Mm-hmm. And we'll have plenty of time to talk about that in the general election, but that is, that is the base vote you need, especially if, if you're Mike Pence and, you know, he's got some smart people around him too. I, you know, if they raise the money and they want to go through all 50 states, there are ev- evangelical voters in South Carolina and Iowa. They're also in Kansas. They're also in California. They're in some of these states that award it, you know, Ca- I bring up California specifically, award delegates proportionally, right? Like, you know, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a message you can sell to win a primary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what it, what is the message? I'm Mike Pence. Thank you for not hanging me, Frank. Well, I think there's a couple paths, right? Like, I think... The evangelical piece is crucial and he's got that lockdown, not, and I don't mean lockdown as in he's got all those voters, but like he knows that message. He's really good at it. He doesn't have to practice. He's ready to go on day one. I think Mm -hmm. there's two ways I would think about this, right? One is like, he knows where the bodies are buried on the Trump stuff, right? So he, if he wanted to, like, I think like Bill Barr, he can be the most effective person against Trump. Um, he just comes with this credibility because he was in the room to steal a, yeah. a line from a, a famous book. Right. So like I, I was there, I saw him throw the ketchup at the walls. That's right. So like, I don't, <laughs> I'm not suggesting that's what the vice president's going to do, but he, he clearly can do it. I think the other thing that's true is I think those of us in the bubble forget the power of the vice president of the United yeah. States. And he yeah. was the vice president of the United States. And so when he walks into a room in Clear Lake or you know, in anywhere, right? Like it's a big deal for these voters. It's a lot bigger deal than being the governor, right? Outside of being president. Like, and that is an asset that no one else gets. Uh, Trump obviously gets it one step more, but it's a big deal. And so I like Scott's right. Like if he can rate, if he can put the money together, you know, he's going to have a good team. Um, You know, he's going to have smart people. Um, He's got great relationship with donors now across the country. And so, yeah, like underestimating Pence to me is a huge mistake if you're Trump or DeSantis. I don't make, I don't think he's the odds on favor or anything, but like, yeah, I think the being the former vice president of the United States has always been a helpful tool if you walked out of that job better than Dan Quayle did, right? Then like, yeah, it's, yeah. and Pence did. So, yeah. He's, he's also, you know, the best, as folks look for in the non-Trump lane, he's the best equipped to answer the question, totally. why not Trump? Why not? Totally. More than anybody else. Yeah, totally. Because I almost died. That's why. Yeah. And there's also, by the way, a new a, a pro-pen super PAC called uh, Committed to America. It's being set up right now. It's going to be headed by Scott Reed. 
who ran Bob Dole's 1996 uh, campaign. And he, uh, Reed was also the top political strategist of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Um, so that's not nothing. Um, okay, very, very quickly, lightning round. Hutchison and Sununu, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchison announced his campaign last month. New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu is mulling a campaign. Both are expected to market themselves as more moderate or at least refusing to demonize Democrats and criticizing Trump and lies about the 2020 election. <sighs> is there a constituency for these types of campaigns, Nina, in the modern Republican Party? Frank and I, I think, you know, we, I've to, I, yeah, I would love it if, if Sununu were the, you know, new direction that the Republican Party decides to go. I just can't see it happening. Is there, is there any market share for them here? in a moderate lane or, in, or at least in a lane that isn't sort of constantly demonizing the other side. Yeah. There's a market lane for them. I just don't think they yeah. are even close to 15, 20% of the Republican party where I'm curious to see is how does Sununu do in New Hampshire himself? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good. Right. And then yeah. does that, if he can keep the fundraising and up to be there in the New Hampshire primary, does that give him any momentum to then go into the other States? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on this, Frank? And like, what, what is a, what, why are they running? What do they think a win is? So I wouldn't want to dive into like their motives. I, um, you know, I think, I mean, Asa said this, right? Like he's a principal conservative. He doesn't agree with the way Trump handled this. And I think he wants to speak out about this. And I think he, he believes, right. That the best avenue for him to do that is within the party structure and as a candidate. Now, to everyone's point about money, like, yeah, you, you just you got to have enough money to get in this race. And then the other thing that I would worry if I were Sununu or Asin, maybe a few others, is like, I don't trust the RNC when it comes to these debate rules. Like, I don't see how they let Asa on the stage. And so, like, I, mm. I just don't know where he thinks that impact mm. is going to come. I'm all for having mm. someone in the race who wants to take on Trump. Um, and Asa is a good man who can do that and has the conservative principles and background to do that. But I just don't know if he's really going to get an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. There's one other name we didn't talk about and that's Chris Christie, but we'll leave it for another time. Cause I don't think there's much to say about it right now. Scott, uh, do you want to round us out with what you're going to be watching in terms of how the numbers are moving over the next, let's say four to five weeks? Um, four to five weeks. Well, or whatever timeline you think is appropriate to be watching right now, but we'll probably do another one of these in a, in, in a, in a month or so. Give me till July 15th, right? This is okay. super nerdy, but I want to see how some of the fundraising looks for Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, all those and all caveats aside, right? Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that the lay person can interpret them, but like, I'm sure everyone on this phone call, we all can handicap what it means when you, when you um, fundraise, you know, uh, or, or announce a presidency in the middle of a fundraising quarter. I'm going to be trying to read the tea leaves on that. And you're going to have to look at not just big metrics, like who's got, um, you know, Ken Griffin money or who got this big donor or whatever it is. It's really the metrics around the, around the small dollar donor fundraising. And by metrics like that, things like what is your average donation, right? Like this is a dated stat from 2016, but we always knew that if you could get someone to give a dollar and you had about six to 12 months, you could get them up to a hundred. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you can extrapolate that out and that helps with budgeting and things like that. I'm sure that number is different today. Um, but, you know, how many individual donors, where they are, what the average donation is, velocity of money, timestamps on the money are very yeah. important. Right. Like all these different types of things, um, because, again, I think this is a money game and, I, you know, there's not an unreasonable chance this is a delegate race. And if it's a delegate race, 
it's who's got money to play in Kansas, Idaho, Washington. And so that's a budgeting thing as well as the velocity thing. And so those are the numbers I'm looking at from a campaign perspective. Boom. Scott, Nina, Frank, thank you, friends, for thinking out loud. This was fun. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. More soon. Bye, guys. <laughs>